835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 9 degrees outside. Yes, it was extremely cold this morning, but uh, it's going to be getting better. And like I say, we're uh, we're going on halfway through February and no monster snowstorms like they're getting hit with on the East Coast right now. Nothing like that on the horizon. So um, I think uh, we're, we're getting closer. We'll get, get some more snow. We'll get another couple blasts of cold. But um, spring is on the way, and that is very, very good news. Okay, some housekeeping things. We, um, we have Governor Walker coming up at 10.05 this morning. Of course, he rolled out his budget yesterday. A um, number of aspects of the budget are controversial. We'll be talking to him about that and how he thinks he's going to be able to make some of the numbers work out. So that's a good thing. Also, a couple quick programming notes. Um, you can, sometime between now and and noon, we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets to go see Billy Joel in concert at Lambeau Field. So be listening. In addition, if you want a chance to win a quote-unquote premium pair of tickets, we've got a contest up on the website. So go to WTMJ.com and check that out. And when you're at WTMJ.com, there's a couple of things that you will notice. One of the things we do early every morning, and it is the Royal We, um, are my, my three big things that we start off every program with, um, they, they post what the three big things are going to be with links to the story so you can get a head start on that i know a lot of people are checking it out and also i want to call your attention to that this new program that that we have rolled out and i've been teasing it for a couple weeks it's wtmj mobile and you can link to it off our website And, and this is is actually I know a lot of people have been working very, very hard on this. It's it's really our podcast page. We podcast my show. We podcast Sports Central with Greg Matzik. And also, what we're doing is, around those programs, we're also creating and giving essentially a voice and a venue for other people who do podcasts. We've got a We've got a Brewers Extra Innings podcast. We've got other podcasts that will be up there. So you can go and you can check all these different things out. You can make arrangements to, again, download them or be notified when they're up. Uh, a lot of people have worked very, very hard on this. Um, we've got one that's going to be uh, talking craft beer. We've got other groups that have been you know, really active and people who have a lot of stuff to say. And I know... It's interesting now. I know there's a lot more interesting people that are going to be participating it in it. And once again, the centerpiece is, of course, our podcasts of the broadcasts we do here on WTMJ, um, notably my show and, again, uh, Sports Central with Greg Matzik. So check it all out. It's at WTMJ.com, the WTMJ mobile section. That will give you all the information. Um, something I've, I've just I've found out they were going to be doing this quite a while ago, and I think it's been uh, it's very, very exciting. Okay, we start off this program as we start off every program with a section I call Three big things. These are three stories I think you need to know about to start your day. You can discuss them at the water cooler, at the coffee closet, over lunch. There's three things that I, I think people will, in fact, be talking about. As I mentioned, we're going to be joined by Governor Walker at 10.05 this morning to talk about his budget proposal. One aspect of the budget that is already generating controversy has to do with roads. Now, there is no secret that we've got a lot of issues going on with with roadways. There's been a constant debate, and I don't know if it's fair to say some friction, but I think you could say some legitimate disagreement in the Republican Party about how we are going to pay for roads. You have the Speaker of the State Assembly, Robin Voss, who has indicated that he is at least open to a gas tax. 
that idea, a gas tax increase, that appears to be dead on arrival when it comes to the state Senate and when it comes to the governor. So there's this battle about how do we pay for road expansion? How do we keep the projects on track? Do we borrow more? Do we look at an increase in gasoline taxes? Do we look at other sources of funding? Where is the money going to come from? Now, one of the things that the governor is going to be recommending that get done over the course of the next few years is he's talking about as a way of saving money to continue on track with other projects he is recommending that the, the the proposal and the project which is is in the works right now which would expand i-94 west from around 16th street um out past like 70th street so essentially the area right as you're leaving downtown right as you're coming out of the marquette interchange going out to a little bit before state fair that that stretch of i-94 which gets congested on the best of days and if there's bad weather or you have a situation where there's um, a, a collision or something like that it becomes almost impassable i mean that that stretch because uh, candidly when it was built it was not built with the idea of handling the traffic that we handle now. It has been very, very controversial over the years because you've got a lot of people who just don't like freeways. And they think that we shouldn't be building this. We shouldn't be expanding this. We want to try to force people out of their cars. Good luck with that. So if there is more congestion, that's great. There's other people who just don't like the idea that you're going to have to expand the roadways. And as you might remember, there's been a huge discussion. How do they do that? Do we build a double-decker freeway? Ultimately, what they decided on was a multiple-lane highway, but the lanes being a little bit more narrow. That's how they were able to save some space. But in any event, that has been on the board. Um, the, the idea has been we're going to, at the cost of about $1.1 billion, we'll rebuild and widen the interstate to eight lanes and add one driving lane in each direction. Construction work was expected to take four years to complete. And that proposal was moving ahead. One of the things the governor is suggesting is to essentially put that project on hold, continue with the work at the zoo interchange, although maybe delay the completion by another two years, continue working on the north-south expansion of I-94, especially between Milwaukee County and uh, into Racine County. So continue working on that, but put the freeway expansion the lane expansion between downtown Milwaukee and 70th Street on hold. Now, this is extremely controversial because you've got a number of people in the business community who are saying, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense because if you do work on the zoo interchange, you've done work on the Marquette interchange, you're going to do work uh, on I-94 in the south, you're going to have this major bottleneck if you've got a a three-and-a-half-mile section of road that isn't up to and can't handle all the traffic. I mean, it's going to be, okay, you've got big area on one end, you've got a big area on the other, but you've got this congested area feeder, you know, where it feeds into from both sides. So the business community is saying, hey, this makes no sense. We, we understand that there's, there's priorities and things, but expanding I-94 from downtown out past 70th Street, that should be a priority. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. How big a deal is this? Um, I've been a, a staunch advocate of 
expanding the roads as somebody who has to travel those roads a lot and sees how congested they get from the perspectives of commuters or this perspective of people who are you know, moving goods and services through this area, does it make sense to delay that aspect of the freeway project in favor of other things? And how much will this inconvenience you? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. We discuss next. It's 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 46, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In an effort to, tr- to save money, one of Governor Walker's proposals is that the plan right now to expand the freeway between 16th Street and 70th Street, a little bit before the state fair, that is going to essentially be put on hold. Right now, the idea was you're going to expand it to four lanes each way. The lanes are going to be a little bit narrower, but expand it to handle um, extra volume. You've got a lot of the anti-freeway folks who are just applauding this. This is great, but they never wanted this anyways because, again, they don't like cars. 414-799-1620. From the perspective of... People who use this stretch on a regular basis, how big a deal is this if we don't expand the freeway? Let's start with Adam downtown. Adam, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, I, uh, I, am a, I am a downtown resident, and I know a lot of fellow colleagues that are often traveling downtown right. to do work. Um, and I know for all of us, and we all avoid certain times of the day. We just don't even try. Right. Um, especially with the 94 East and West, with the with the section that you're referring to. Right. It, it's it's impossible and it's nerve wracking. So I, I'm sure it hurts the downtown economy with people just avoiding hours, just not going down there. And I'm all for expansion, as long as it's not it doesn't take forever. Um, the construction prog- process has to be well tuned. I think that uh, anything that goes beyond a year and a half or two years is is, is it's going to start wearing on people's nerves. Well, and see, I guess, and see, I'm, I see. I understand exactly what you're saying, Adam. I mean, anybody who commutes in from Brookfield or Pewaukee. Um, We'll, we'll tell you the same thing. Or anybody who commutes out, like say if you live on the North Shore and you've got right. to go out to the West Side, um, at, at certain points of time, especially like I say, if the weather's bad or Lord forbid there's an accident, th- that portion of the freeway becomes almost impassable. But it, the problem is because it's just it, it's not built to handle the level of traffic we right, have here. Right, right, and I and I and I'm I think I think the DOT experts. I think if if we get some of the top experts on board to come up with a plan, whether it's a double-decker or, or widening the stretch, something has to be done because transportation, the amount of transportation in flown to Milwaukee, we don't want it to lessen for, for the economy's sake. It's only going to expand the I mean, the rate of traffic is only going to expand. Well, right. It, it just, right. It, it's just it's not big enough. Thanks for calling. I mean, it, when it was built... It might have been fine. It's not big enough. There's not enough room right now to handle the degree of traffic. And by the way, my understanding is the idea of like a double-decker freeway, that, that that's out. I mean, the, the plan that they're working on is, again, it's four lanes either way. It is narrower lanes, and as a result, that means that you have to take up you have to take up less land. That means that they're not going to have to relocate, you know, graves out at Wood Memorial. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. How big a deal is this, Lucy? Lucy, good I morning. Live, I live in the corridor, 
Mm-hmm. I drive the freeway. We don't need an expansion. All it would do is mess up two jewel neighborhoods, Calvary Cemetery and Story Hill Parkway. Now, I don't live in Story Hill, but I walk there a lot. And, you know, it's just not that bad. People are exaggerating how bad it is. The traffic was overestimated. Driving is going is not growing at the pace that the DOT said. I am happy as a lark. That it got killed, and by the time they look at it, get at it again, they'll realize they don't need it. Well, I, I'm not sure you should be so- celebrating so much because I'm not positive that it's completely going to be killed. And I, and I get it, Lucy. If you live in that area, you, it's the not my backyard idea. You you don't you don't want and you don't want that extra lane and stuff. But, but we use the freeway, Jeff. I use the freeway. Well, I, what time bad. do you use the freeway? You must not be using the freeway in the mornings or the evenings when there's a commute. Yeah, sometimes I do. Well, okay, well then. I, do. I just don't think it's that bad, and I think this is overblown, and I think it was a gift to the road builders, and we don't need it, and we don't want it. Okay, thanks. Well, you you don't want it. All right, 414-799-1620, I respect that. You, you don't, and by the way, I, I get it. There's a lot of this not-in-my-backyard stuff. The people who live in that immediate area, yes, they, they don't want the expansion. People, I've got a topic coming up a little bit later on out in Washington County, same sort of thing. But but this idea that, oh, the DOT's numbers are all overinflated, for people who use this and commute that stretch on a daily basis, I mean, seriously, tell me that those numbers are overrated. Tell me that you couldn't really use an extra lane of traffic to get to and from. Again, particularly, I think you can make that argument on an everyday basis, but particularly when there's weather, particularly when there is, uh, again, a collision or something like that. Let's talk to Bill in Cedarburg. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Hello. Hi, Bill. Yeah, I was uh, on that on that subject there. Uh, if they would have completed Fond du Lac Avenue or Appleton Avenue like it was intended mm-hmm. years ago, uh, you wouldn't need to widen those lanes because that traffic that goes up forty one forty five would be traveling on that road, and it would alleviate a lot of that. Yeah, you would have a, you would have a relief. Uh, sort of a relief route, so there's an alter would be an alternative route from people who would be uh, either leaving downtown, going up to the north, or alternatively coming from Menominee Falls or Germantown or whatever would have an easier way to get to downtown. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, whether it would have been Appleton Avenue or Fond du Lac Avenue, you know, they they were both intended to have uh, lanes coming off of 4145 to the downtown area, either by Miller Park or or over more towards uh, where the current uh, arena is going up. Yeah, I mean, again, there's all, sort of things, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can look at. And I know, matter of fact, we'll ask the governor about this when we talk to him at 10.05. I, I understand that this is, I, I have to believe that he appreciates the significance of the project. It's just, given the state of the transportation budget, you're trying to balance what are the most important needs. Um, is it Obviously, it's very important to finish the zoo interchange. Um, I, I have more questions about the I-94 expansion down in Racine County, other than the fact that you've got some powerful Republican lawmakers who very much want that for their area. I think it would be an interesting question of priorities. What's really more important, that section or the, the section, again, between 16th Street and 70th Street? But with all due respect, to suggest that, well, this it's really not that bad and it's not that congested. Well, okay, it might not be that congested at one thirty in the afternoon on a Tuesday, but 
Uh, try, try, try driving that on a regular basis when you're commuting, and you will find, I think, a different experience. And most people who do it, I think, would agree. It is 8.54. Big thing number two coming up. Congressman Sean Duffy runs afoul of some of the usual sus- suspects. Stick around. 8.56, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. Big thing number two, Sean Duffy creates some controversy. And this is a classic example of a story that might be much ado about nothing, but also demonstrates incredible media bias when the media has a story and an angle they want to take. So here's the story, USA Today, Network, Wisconsin. Sean Duffy slammed for white terrorism comments. U.S. Representative Sean Duffy, representative from Wausau, set off a firestorm Tuesday. Firestorm. After claiming on national television that a recent terrorist attack committed by a white extremist was a rare event. That was a one-off, Duffy told CNN. When What's Duffy doing on CNN? I mean, really, Sean, you got to understand. You're not going to get a fair shot. That was a one-off, Duffy told CNN, when asked about a shooting at a Quebec, Canada mosque last month that left six people dead and 17 other injured. Uh, police identified the gunman as a 27-year-old white man who had previously expressed anti-immigrant views and described him as a criminal extremist. CNN anchor, whatever, had specifically asked Duffy why President Donald Trump was not talking about the Canadian terrorist attack in the context of Trump's travel ban on immigrants from seven predominantly Muslim countries. Duffy responded that he didn't know and that death and murder on both sides is wrong. But Duffy also said, Duffy also said, there is a difference between the type of terrorist attack at the mosque, some crazy loner. That's me, but that's what he's trying to interpret. That's me interpreting his phrase. There's a difference between the type of terrorist attack at the mosque and those motivated by support for the militant Islamic State or ISIS. You don't have a group like ISIS or al-Qaeda that's inspiring people around the world to take up arms and kill innocents. Duffy's comments stirred criticism across the country and with his own and with his own district in north central Wisconsin. I'm so tired of the fear mongering that the Republicans do, said the Marathon County Democratic Party chairperson. You know, it's a, OK, this is where we're going to get the fear mongering. Let's go to the Democratic Party chairperson to get um, him or her to criticize Sean Duffy. But what Duffy does on CNN is he said, look, I don't know why Trump isn't talking about banning people from coming in from Canada, but the attack in Canada was some crazy extremist, you know, motivated by hatred. That is different. That is different than countries that essentially have large groups of people who are pledged to support ISIS or involved with al-Qaeda and very little restraint on those types of groups that are encouraging these type of attacks. And, of course, CNN wants to describe this, and the story in the paper wants to describe this as a huge mistake by Duffy. Doesn't he realize that these are all the same? And if we're banning people from some of these countries that have our, our terrorist watch lists, well, then shouldn't we also be looking at you know, banning people from coming in from Canada? That is the implication. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Did Sean Duffy really say anything wrong? Or does he have a valid point that there is a difference between an isolated extremist who acts on their own based out of whatever psychotic rage they're in versus people who are pledged to groups whose mission and the mission of members of the groups is to commit terrorist acts? Isn't that a rational distinction? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next.
908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're right in the middle of our Three Big Things segment. Hey, sometime this hour, I will be giving away a pair of tickets to see Billy Joel in concert at Lambeau Field. Sometime this hour, we will be doing that. 10.05, I'm going to be joined by Governor Walker to talk about his budget proposal. Right now, a big thing number two, Congressman Sean Duffy. Well, it it is a media-generated firestorm, I would say. He runs afoul of a CNN anchor and a couple... Well, reporters for one of the Wisconsin papers. Here's what he does. He goes on CNN, and, he sa- and, and, and they're trying to play gotcha with him. Well, okay, Donald Trump is banning immigration from the seven countries that have large Muslim populations, um, but they're also like on terrorist watch lists and things like that. Well, why isn't Donald Trump complaining about the madman who shot up that, that mosque? And, and the implication is, shouldn't we also then be banning people who come in from, from Canada? And, and Duffy says, look, th- this is all horrible. But there's a difference between some crazed, racist, anti-Islamic loner who shoots up a mosque and people who are coming in from countries where the regimes have no control essentially over terrorist operations that are organized and operating in those countries. There is a difference and a distinction. Well, is that such an outrage? 414-799-1620. Jarrell in Waukesha. Jarrell, good morning. Good morning. Uh I think it's, I, I, firstly, I don't see why uh, Congressman Duffy didn't just, uh, you know, didn't just, why he felt the need to defend Trump. He could have easily just said, Trump should have made, a, President Trump should have made a statement about this, mm-hmm. and we need to be fighting back against all types of terrorism. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, for him to go further and act like this is just a one-off and there's no, um, he even went as far to say, can you name two cases of uh you know, white terror or terrorism committed by white people, or the terrorism doesn't really happen very often committed by white people. It's a really dangerous thing to say because it does. And to act like this guy is just some loner is just—it's disingenuous. This guy was a um, professed, um, you know, anti-immigrant, uh, anti-Muslim, white extremist, white nationalist, um, and those people are out there. Just recently, there was a story about a guy or about a plot of three white guys who were trying to commit um, a bombing of a Somali uh, refugee apartment in Kansas. But luckily, the authorities found out about it and were able to stop it. Yeah, but but I understand what you're saying. But this, of course, was voiced, the, the context of this conversation was in the context of, you know, here's Trump's travel ban. He's only targeting X number of countries. Shouldn't he be worried about Canada or other places as well? And the point is, this travel ban makes no sense. That's what at least they were trying to voice. Don't you see a distinction between, again, countries that have regimes that don't control the terrorist organizations and these these disaffected separatists, the, these crazy people that are out there that will commit these acts of violence? There is definitely a difference between Canada and yeah. the middle, the Middle East, as far as the level of security, the safety, the right. amount of terrorism that happened, and that's all he had to say. Right. He went, he went further with it, and he made it about race in, in a way that suggested that white people, that it's only Muslims who commit terrorist acts, which is completely untrue. In this country, you're much more likely to be killed by. Um, a right-wing extremist, for instance, than you are by a Muslim extremist. Well, I guess I don't, um, again, Drew, I, I don't know about that. But, I mean, I, I, I understand, and I guess I think my, my question is whether people are reading too much into what, what Duffy said. Uh, again, I think the distinction, and we, you and I agree on this, I, I think it makes perfect sense to draw a distinction, and again, in the context of where are you going to have this travel ban. No, we, we don't need to have a travel ban with Canada. There are not... 
there are not state, I, I don't know if it's fair to say state-sponsored, but you don't have, I mean, Canada has a control and some degree of control on the organizations and the people that are operating in it. There, there's no justification. You, you don't have a huge ISIS presence, I don't think, in Canada. You do have a huge ISIS or Al-Qaeda presence in some of these other countries, which is why they're on the State Department's watch lists and things like that. Now, if if Duffy could have done it in a more artful fashion, okay, maybe. But at least what I think he was trying to say was, all right, we, we need, for the purpose of enforcing the travel ban, we need to concentrate on those those countries and by the way there's lots and lots of muslim countries that the travel ban does not apply to there's lots of countries that have lots more percentage of muslims in them than some of the countries that the travel ban does so i I understand people want to see this as you know an anti-islam sort of situation i think and maybe trump played into that by some of the remarks he made in in the beginning where he talked about you know wanting to ban Muslims but at least the way the travel ban rolls out now if it's allowed to go into effect which is going to be a huge issue it's targeted at countries that again have substantial ties to terrorism and i think that's what Sean Duffy was trying to say all right in just a minute or two big thing number 3 um ah, President Trump's Supreme Court nominee takes issue with some of the things President Trump had to say about the judiciary. We'll discuss. Stick around. It's 914. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 916. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jason Kidd and the Bucks welcome the Los Angeles Lakers to the BMO Harris Bradley Center tomorrow. Voice of the Bucks, Ted Davis and Dennis Krause have the call. Our Bucks game night coverage starts with Buck Shots at 6.40 tomorrow evening. Coming up at 10.05, we'll be talking to Governor Scott Walker about his budget proposals. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, the state Senate moves to end project labor agreements. Some of the usual suspects have their hair on fire. That's all coming up. And before 10 o'clock, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets for you to see Billy Joel at Lambeau Field. So stick around. Big thing number three. Uh, Donald Trump has nominated Neil Gorsuch to be the next justice on the United States Supreme Court, I think it is an inspired choice. They are taking Judge Gorsuch around and having him meet with senators, both on the Republican and the Democratic side. Some de- some Democrats, Tammy Baldwin, for example, have said it doesn't matter. We don't want to talk to him. We don't care. I'm going to vote against him. I'm going to do everything I can to stop him from getting an up or down vote. Stay classy, Tammy. But regardless, there are other people who are meeting with him. And one of the people he met with was Richard Blumenthal, who's a Democrat for, from Connecticut, who in all likelihood won't vote won't vote for him, his nomination, but he has a meeting with him. So they have a, a private meeting. And, of course, this is where the senators get to, you know, ask questions in private. And, of course, under the political time now, what's going on is nothing that's said in private stays in private, especially if it could be used to embarrass Donald Trump. So what happens is, you will remember, over the course of the last few days, Donald Trump has been very, very vocal in criticizing members of the bench. Um, When this judge out in Washington state initially put a hold on the travel ban, Trump referred to him as the so-called judge, put the country in peril. If something happens, shame him, shame on him and shame on the court system. Um, 
Uh, he declared the appeals court hearing Tuesday night regarding his order was disgraceful, suggested that judges were more concerned about politics than following the law. You know, it's an, an event. He's called out judges. Now, he is the president of the United States. I do not think judges should be above criticism. I criticize judges all the time. But, of course, I'm not a litigant, and I'm not the leader of the free world. I, I'm not the president of the United States. So at this meeting between Judge Gorsuch, the nominee to the Supreme Court, and Richard Blumenthal, the de- Democrat from Connecticut, apparently what happens is that the senator asks Gorsuch uh, about what he thought about Trump's various comments. You know, um, he says, I told Gorsuch about how abhorrent Donald Trump, Trump's invective and insults are towards the judiciary. And he, this would be Judge Gorsuch, said to me that he found them disheartening and, dis- and demoralizing. He said Gorsuch stated very emotionally and strongly his belief in his fellow judge's integrity and the principle of judicial independence. And I, that would be the senator, made it clear to him that this belief requires him to be stronger and more explicit, more public in his views. So they have this private meeting. The senator says to the next Supreme Court justice, you know, what do you think about the president criticizing the judges? And the the judge says, well, I I think this is. Uh, again, it's disheartening and it's demoralizing. And then, of course, the senator runs and, and tells everybody about that story. So the idea is to try to create a rift potentially between the Supreme Court nominee and Donald Trump. I doubt that that will work. But it does raise th- this interesting question. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. It is fair to say that Trump's criticism of members of the judiciary is it is probably unprecedented i know in the past that there have been lots of presidents who have been unhappy with court rulings and in general the way it's handled is we disagree with this ruling um we're going to appeal it we're confident that this decision is going to be overturned that's not what trump does Trump takes to Twitter or whatever, and he questions and impugns the motive of some of the judges. Um, He attacks them in a direct fashion that they are not used to being attacked. Now, like I say, it's one thing for a commentator to do that. It's one thing for a commentator to question the motives of the judge. It's another thing for the president of the United States to do this. So is Trump out of line? In some of the things he has said about members of the judiciary, apparently one such member of the judiciary, Neil Gorsuch, who is the nominee to be on the Supreme Court, he's at least telling people, supposedly in private, that um, he finds these attacks demoralizing and disheartening. Should Trump turn down the rhetoric when it comes to the courts? 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 922. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 924, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Governor Walker delivered his budget address yesterday. What was discussed, and more importantly, what wasn't? Steve Scafidi and Michelle Richards examined that this afternoon on WTMJ Today at 1235. Before that, I will be talking to the governor at 1005. All right, right now, Donald Trump, really unprecedented, criticizing members of the judiciary in a very, very personal sort of way. His nominee to the Supreme Court yesterday, following a meeting with a Democratic senator, apparently described those attacks as demoralizing and disheartening. Is Trump going too far? Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. 
Oh, oh, definitely he's going too far. The fact is that he's the first president that has gone this far. The fact is is that there hasn't even been judgments brought down, you know, on, on this particular the particular case that he's talking about. The fact is, that, you know, to, to continue to tweet and to whine about, you know, the judiciary, and he's done this before. Oh, yeah. He, he, did, it, he did it with the uh, judge that uh, was over was invo- his, overseeing the whole Trump University the, thing. The, yep. the um, university thing. And so people, uh, you know, just, just kind of let that pass because, because he, uh, you know, was doing the election. But the fact is, he is, he, he is, he is out of line. The fact is, it, 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 it's, it's not dignified for a president, a sitting president, to go after another another branch of the let. Uh, See what's happened in the past is you have your surrogates do it. You know, I mean, and again, and I don't think judges should be immune from from attack. I think judges judges deserve when it's appropriate to be criticized for bad decisions or political decisions. But what normally it, it is, it's supporters, it's surrogates, it's 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 not the president of the United States that's doing it directly. And, and this morning he tweets that, oh, what what uh, uh, Judge Gorsuch said, he didn't say. And, and and just Gorsuch is supposed to say, yeah, it, it, he came out and said exactly that the judge did say this, and and, and so now he's trying to rewrite rewrite right. what the judge said and rewrite history. It's it, it's absolutely insane what this this guy is doing, and, and 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 we just give him a pass on it. The fact is is that this is unprecedented. This is this is this is not becoming of the president of the United States, and he needs to stop. Thanks for the call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. What is unprecedented? Tim in Mequon. Tim, good morning. You're on six. WTMJ. Hi, yes, I was going to say that you framed the question as, should he not? And I think for many of his supporters, I don't, I can't prove this, but I would suggest that many of his supporters probably enjoy that sort of rhetoric. Oh, absolutely. Of how he campaigns. So. Well, well, right, no, I'm sure, I'm sure the attitude, we'll probably talk to some people, and the attitude is, this is why we voted for Trump. We want somebody who's oh, yeah. not going to take crap and who's going to call things as he sees it. There's no question about it. I would say that, so for those supporters, it's probably seen as a good thing in terms of setting a precedent for how we talk about different branches of government, probably not so good. Um, okay, thanks for calling. And again, that, no, there's no doubt that um, this this strat, this kind of, this sort of in-your-face strat, Donald Trump has rewritten, he wrote rewrote all the campaign rules, and he's sort of rewriting all the I'm-going-to-be-president rules by, by doing things that nobody else has done. So because it's unprecedented, does it necessarily mean it's it's bad? Let's talk to um, let's see. We've got uh, John on the east side. John, good morning. You're at six twenty eight. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, John. Uh, you you just spoke my mind. The reason I voted for him because he talks the way I talk. Okay. I mean, when I meet with my friends, you know, you know, at a party or a wedding or something, we talk politics. That's how we talk. Right. And so, I like that because he hasn't developed the politician's tongue yet. Mm-hmm. So and like if, so if you've heard a story about some stupid Milwaukee County court decision where some guy, guy gets put on a $500 bail when it should be half a million, you and your friends are going to be talking about it. You're going to be saying, you know, what was what was that guy thinking when he did that stupid <laughs> thing? That's what you're going to be saying. And so sure, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so what Trump is doing, he's not covering up. Mm-hmm. And that's what most politicians do. You know, they they got that slick tongue, they got the right answers, and they don't mean it anyway. Is it is it unseemly? Uh, is is it unseemly for the president of the United States to be, I don't know, saying those types of things about a, a, a federal judge, for example? Well, is it? See, that's the whole point. 
We want seemly, mm-hmm. even if it's a lie. Okay. <laughs> Basically, no. I, pre- I see. This is. I mean, this is one of the things I find fascinating about this. It is. It's that Donald Trump, like it or not, is rewriting the rules. And there's all these things that he does that creates all the, this this outrage, particularly in the chattering class, because nobody else has ever done it. But at the same time, there's a lot of people out there who love him because he he hasn't, you know, it, it's never been done before. Now, from my perspective, like I say, I think I think there is a happy medium. I do not think judges should be above criticism when they do bizarre things. I'm not suggesting that, you know, this travel ban was bizarre one way or the other. But you, you've got judges that act out. You've got judges that make bizarre decisions. And I don't think that they're immune from criticism. But in this case, he is the president of the United States. I, I think he would be better off having his surrogates be the ones that go out and, and question the judge and attack. But um, I will tell you this. Even though I think that he shows to me no signs of backing down at all. He's drawn a line in the sand, and there's a lot of people out there who like this a lot. And by the way, um, while he might be doing it in a more direct fashion, Barack Obama did this too. Barack Obama was not subtle in criticizing judges that he felt, you know, put down rulings that did not, you know, go along with whatever his agenda was. Now, he might not have been quite as blunt about Donald Trump, but Trump isn't the first person to do it. He just is perhaps not as subtle as Barack Obama was. All right. During the break, you heard this um, ad for project labor agreements. There was a big development in the state Senate yesterday, and I want to talk about it with you. A project labor agreement is an agreement between owners of a const- owners of construction firms and construction unions. Um, under current state law, firms that are bidding to work on a public construction project, like the new Bucks Arena downtown, can be required by municipalities and school districts to enter into collective bargaining with unions, hire workers through union hiring halls, and pay union wages and benefits. And it applies to contractors whether they normally use a unionized workforce or not. So public project, a project involving public money. You're you're building the, the downtown Bucks Arena. The municipality can say, we want you... As a condition of bidding on the project, Mr. Builder, you have to use union labor. They can require that. All right? Doesn't matter whether they can find other similar sources that do the job for cheaper with just as good a quality. The municipalities can require that you have to use union labor. All right? That's the way it works now. Yesterday, the state Senate, on what I think is pretty much a party line vote, voted to eliminate, voted to essentially ban that. In other words, municipalities would no longer, as part of public projects, be able to require that you you hire unionized labor. Now, the municipalities, and this is an important distinction, they could still put in requirements. They could say, okay, this is... This is what the wage, Mr. Contractor, if you're going to build bid on the project, this is the wage you have to pay your employees. They could say, Mr. Contractor, this is the these are the benefits that you have to, you know, pay your employee. You could do all that type of stuff, but you couldn't say 
that, you know, it has to be a unionized, you have to use unionized workers in order to bid on the project. So, again, as part of the PLA, you could still put in all sorts of requirements. If the city of Milwaukee, for example, wanted to say, we want to guarantee that everybody who works on this project makes at least $25 an hour, they could put that in as a requirement. But you couldn't say... The people that are working there that are going to be paid $25 an hour have to belong to a union. As you might expect, the unions are fighting this tooth and nail because this is pretty much guaranteed work for union workers. And the argument that's being made is, gee, if you take out this requirement, this unionized aspect of the project labor agreements, oh, you're going to get all this slipshod work. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. You may disagree with me, but I think this bill is long overdue. And I understand that some people are going to see this as an attack on unions and things like that. But to me, it's just common sense. If you are, if you're bidding on a project at your house, okay, you, you, you want to replace your roof, okay? You know, what what are you going to do? You're going to you're gonna get a bid. If you get just the lowest bid, well I think you're asking for trouble, but you're gonna want value. You're gonna want a company that, you know, has a good reputation. You're gonna want a company that has quality workers, you're going to want a company that's gonna be able to get the job done on time, and you're going to want value. You don't necessarily want the lowest bidder, you don't want the highest bidder, you want value for your money. And if the company uses unionized workers to do it, well, well, fine. But if the company has a whole bunch of workers who are really, really good and aren't part of the union, are you seriously not going to hire that company if you think they that company offers you the best value? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. And I guess I think that if it's good enough for you at your house to make a decision based on all these factors without having to be required to hire a company that uses union labor, it should be good enough for municipalities who are spending our money. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I just wanted to comment on that, Bill. I, I think it's long overdue, and, you know, it's been, I, I, as a businessman myself, I think it's just been ridiculous over these years, and you wonder why costs keep skyrocketing on roads, et cetera. It doesn't mean wages are necessarily going to be extremely lower, no. but, you know, if, as a contractor, you're contracted to do a job and build a road or build a building to certain specifications, and you've got to do that, and you're going to hire good people. But to be able to f- force to pay people X amount of wages, you wonder why these costs keep going up. It's just ridiculous. In my well, opinion. and to be required to use union workers. I mean, and again, yeah. I, I'm not saying that you. I'm not saying that you shouldn't use union workers. It, it, but this idea that if you don't a, belong to a union, you know, you're not qualified to do a particular job, I think is insulting to the 80 percent of the people that are out there doing these jobs who don't belong to unions. And I think unions had a great, great place in our society. I'm the son of a union papermaker, right. and my dad was, uh, I was born and raised a Democrat. I turned into a Republican, and now I call myself a common-sense conservative. We can't keep paying these wages and going as crazy as we're going um, with all this stuff. It's got to... It's going to explode, and we're starting to get on the right track, but we've got a long way to go. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620 is number. We continue the conversation in just a couple minutes. All right, this legislation would simply say you, municipalities can no longer require that the people who bid on jobs be union shops. 
doesn't say that union shops couldn't bid on the jobs. It just says you can't require it to be a union shop. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. 943, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We'll be talking to Governor Scott Walker in about 20 minutes. Let's talk to Kristen in Greendale. Kristen, good morning. Kristen. Hi, Kristen. I'm here. Okay, go ahead. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry about that. Hey, Kristen. I Jeff, my my only thing I want to ask you is when was the last time somebody got on the radio and asked you try to tell you how much you should make an hour? These journeymen and uh, apprentices, the trades, they get they have to do a certain amount of training for mm-hmm. you to keep their their journeyman status. Not to mention the fact that I've been on plenty of jobs there that have had non-union and they come with with less than good sort of uh, safety equipment. And I'm not kidding you. Remember what happened at Brookfield when that Walmart was built? If you recall, sir, that uh, ceiling came down from snow. Okay. Well, let me let me ask you a couple questions, Chris. Are you saying that if I hire a plumber to go, I, I've got a leak. Let's say I've, let's say I need a new hot water heater installed at my house. So I hire a plumber to do that. Are you telling me that you don't think a non-union plumber can do as good a job as a union plumber? What what I do when I call, I have a home myself, what I do when I call a plumber to come to my house is I want to hire the most trained and certified person to come. And if he's got all his certifications, he can come out. My husband and I, we work union, we support mm-hmm. union, and we hire union contractors, no matter what, because those contractors are going to come out certified and back the work with what they do. So what, so what you are saying, your, your answer then would be yes. You think that by hiring the union plumber, for example, that person's going to do a better job than the non-union plumber is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've been on jobs where these guys show up and they don't even have their, their, their work boots on. I've been on jobs where these guys have come out and, and I'm telling you, sir, the certification, the safety standards that are held by unions are, are 80% are, are heads and tails above what you, when you hire the non-union. Oh. And, and part of what the unions do is they go into these non-unions most of these guys don't get insurance benefits. They may look on paper like they do, but my brother's worked the nine union. My husband's had to go shake the guy down just to get get him paid. I'm not well, you understand under this law, though, there, there's nothing that says that the, the municipality couldn't set certain wages and it couldn't set certain it could set whatever standards it's wanted. It just would say that you you don't you don't have to deal with a union if you've got a well, contractor that's going to huh. You're getting you're getting good work. You're getting well. You're getting good people who put those wages back into the. the city. Well, right, but okay, but but the, you you got okay. If the eighty percent of the workforce is non-union that's doing that stuff, they're also going to be putting the wages back in the city. But you're, I get it. Your assumption is if you're non-union, you're not as good as somebody who's union. Okay, thanks for the call. That. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And that's the basic premise. She's saying, okay, we always hire union workers because we we know that they are always going to be better. I, I'm sorry. I don't necessarily buy that. I'm not. This is not an attack on, on union workers. Um, but if you've got a good contractor, and I think, look, I'm not talking about lowering quality standards or things like that. And it's, I think, obviously, if you're a municipality and you're building a project, just like if you're a homeowner, what you want to do is you want to make sure whoever's bidding on the project has a good reputation, has workers that know what they're doing, and is going to be able to do the job in a good fashion. But from the perspective of you as the homeowner, as long as you're satisfied that the contractor is reputable, does it really make 
make a difference to you whether it's union or or not. And if the basic premise is all these workers out there, which is the vast majority of workers who don't belong to unions, that they don't do as good a job as union workers, well, I'm, I'm sure that might be true in some cases, but I bet you there's all sorts of other examples where that's not the case. Let's talk to Howie in McFarland. Howie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Oh, good morning, Jeff. Hi, Howie. Uh, nice to have you, well, for in a long morning. time, we hope, here at this hour. Thank you very much. Well, I, I love I love the gig, my friend, except when the alarm goes off at 5 in the morning. <laughs> That's, but I, but I'm, I'm getting used to that, and I know lots of people get up at 5 in the morning, so I'm, uh, I, 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 I appreciate I hope it. You're not I hope you're not having to wear sunglasses and you know uh, on the job there all the time. No, no, no. I'm uh, I'm in my Jimmy Buffett sweatshirt, so that's it. What do you think about this, pal? Well, I, I in a way, I feel like this is. I, I agree with you 100 uh, percent about the you know the premise of um, not the union, but you know the, the quality of the job and so on being the bottom line for communities. Right. They, they really got to have that. They've, they've got to have control of that. It, the quality has got to be there, and the, and, and the community's got to be able to, to have that as their bottom line, and the rest of it is, is, is right. something else. My concern is that um, just the wording of this, though, still leaves the union in the control of or, or union-oriented groups that way, because all that seems to be taken out of this you know, legislation is the union, the word union. Yep. Everything else, well, you've got, uh, for a community to say, well, you've got to have this, you've got to have this, you've got to have this, or you've got to have that in order to bid it out, is only leaving out one word. And it, to right. me, it could be kind of a backdoor to allow only... Right, you know, right because they, cause what you're saying is they could draw up the specifications. And even though they don't say it has to be a union shop, by putting in all these different conditions, you could tailor that so that effectively only a union, only a contractor using union help would be able to bid and qualify for that. That's what you're saying. Exactly. And out here, I would use as an example, uh, we only got one bid in our community on a new fire engine. Uh, and I think it was because, or it sure seems to be because, in the similar kind of a mm-hmm. metaphor, it was built or uh, described only a certain way that only one manufacturer right. could do it. Right. And so... Uh, no, that's a valid point. No, no, thanks for calling. That, that's a valid point. And I mean, again, because that that is one of the things... It, it The only... This requirement, this law, does not stop municipalities from putting in, you can put in the wage thing, you can put in the benefits that have to be paid. And I guess theoretically, if they do it in such a way, it would be possible to draft it so that only unions, only union workers would be able to qualify. But I guess I see this as as a good first step and something that makes sense. But I I go back to the basic concept. I mean, I'm just, I'm not knocking union workers. I'm not. I just have trouble with this basic premise that, oh, if it's a union worker, you're automatically guaranteed that it's going to be a, a better a better job. I mean, is that really the case? John and Racine. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I actually am a owner of a now non-union shop. Okay. We're unions. And I totally agree with what you're saying and disagree with what that earlier woman had spoken about. The quality of union shops today is not necessarily better than non-union. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of the union shops, their employees are there because the unions made them apprentice or journeyman just because they want the dues. Mm-hmm. You're not getting the quality work you're used to. And the thing about being a non-union shop, because you're not paying union dues, you're actually, in many cases, 
able to give your employees better benefits mm-hmm. than they do if they were union. Well, what about this? What about the claim, John, that because if your if your employees are non-union, that means their their certifications aren't going to be in order, and their skill their training's not going to be in order, and their safety provisions aren't going to be up to date. I mean, is there any validity to that? Well, not at all. In fact, I could give you tons of stories where union employees have come in and asked us non-union employees how to do jobs. Right. Just it's 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 total a fallacy. Not true at all. Yeah. See, and I guess I, I mean I, I guess I just I mean I'm just trying to think about it. My guess is there's you you can find contractors that use union work and, and they're really really good, and you can find non-union shops where maybe they. they they are cutting corners, and they don't have the best employees. But the other thing would be true as well. I mean, I, I guess I'm not convinced that there's anything magic about, you know, somebody who belongs to an, an electrical union that automatically makes them a better or more qualified employee than maybe somebody who's been an electrician for 35 years and is now working at a non-union shop. I mean, I, is it possible? Yeah. Does it happen? Yeah. But I guess I just don't see it as a guarantee. And if I'm bid, if I'm hiring people to do a job at my house – I, I want some I want a contractor that's qualified. I want to check their references and I want to make sure I hold them accountable for whoever they're using to work. I, I mean I want to make sure they know what they're doing, but I mean that's I'm going to trust the contractor to do that. That's why I'm going to vet the contractor. Exactly. When we do a job, we have a list of contractors we hire as subcontractors. Right. Union or non-union. That's not how they're hired. They're hired on their ability right. and their quality. Yeah, right. And, and the oh, fact that okay, yeah, we we need you to show up. Okay, we're going to use you to hang drywall or whatever. You know, you 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 know, it, your guys come out. We know they do a good job. We don't care whether they're union or not. We just expect them to do a good job. And if they don't do a good job, we're not hiring them in the future. Exactly. No, thank. And I guess that's that's what this does. It doesn't preclude unions from bidding on work. What it says is, you know, anybody can bid, and we're just going to give the municipalities the the freedom to not uh, to not essentially be a closed shop. We're going to give the municipalities who are spending taxpayer dollars the ability to decide what contractor is best to do the particular job. And if that turns out again, because and I'm again, I'm not this guy that argues. And you should always go to the lowest bidder. I think that's insane. That's not how I operate around my house. I want people who I trust. I want people who do a good job. I want people who have experience. And if I have to pay a little bit more for it, that's fine because I want the job done right. So I'm not arguing that you should all automatically go with the, the lowest bidder. That doesn't make any sense to me. But if it's a reputable contractor, that to me is the key. And I don't care whether the guys are union or the guys or gals are union or not. I do expect them to be trained. I do expect them to be qualified. But that's going to be the contractor's responsibility. In any event, this bill passed through the Senate 19 to 13 yesterday. It's going to go to the uh, Assembly. I suspect it will pass overwhelmingly, and I have no doubt the governor will sign it. Speaking of the governor, we're going to be talking to him in less than 10 minutes. It's 956. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10.06, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are joined live by the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Scott Walker. Governor, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Um, All right. A a very interesting budget that you rolled out yesterday. We had talked about some of the premises, but 
I think one of the things, Governor, that a lot of people are saying is you're, you're talking about putting more money into education, increasing the um, rainy day fund, um, providing continuing tax relief. A lot of people are saying, how can you do that? <laughs> yeah, in fact, I think for a lot of the Democrats, they're like, wait a minute. Yeah. I said, this is the reform dividend. Uh, what I mean by that is for the last six years, as you all know and talked about, we pushed major reforms right at the top list was Act 10, but we also pushed economic reforms that help the people of the state, not the government, the people of the state, create more jobs, higher wages, better prosperity, through lower taxes, reined in regulations, stopping frivolous lawsuits, all those different things helped us create a better economy. That combined with Act 10 and the other reforms that helped state and local government helped us get to this positive budget outlook. So there's substantial new revenue, and like any good business, we reinvest that in our priorities which are really twofold. Workforce, workforce, workforce. We hear about that all the time. So workforce is priority number one. That's why there's more in schools, in the tech colleges, in the University of Wisconsin system, all tied into trying to fill those high-demand positions so we keep the economy humming. And secondly, reinvesting it back into the people who helped create in the first place, and that's the taxpayers, which is why there's $592 million of new tax relief in this budget on top of the $4.7 billion we created over the past six years let's talk a little bit about the 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 school aid because that i mean that one of the to the extent that there has been criticism over the years fair or unfair it's been well this this is a governor who's been anti-education and we've seen money taken away from public school systems Uh, to the extent that that criticism was ever valid to that extent that this is a budget that puts a lot of that money back right well, twofold. One, we, you're right. We put more money into K through 12 than, than anybody's ever put in the state's history. But because of Act 10, which, by the way, any number of independent reports showed that the changes, the budgetary reductions we made in 2011, were more than offset for schools and local governments by the reforms they were given through Act 10. But, but that being said, this budget's not about the past; it's about the future. And so here, We've heard from employers who increasingly tell us that they want to grow, they want to expand. The biggest barrier to that is there's not enough employees out there. And so with our schools and in other partners, we talked about worker training, tech colleges, apprenticeship, UW. But in our schools, we know that we, we need to continue to grow the workforce. Part of this funding goes into helping get early college credit. Part of it helps with fab labs and with other programs that help get skilled trades. Part of it helps make sure our students are thinking early on about their career path going forward, all with the intention that we need to have a, a valuable workforce to grow the economy. And you're right, this Democrat didn't know what to say. They were complaining it's not enough, but I pointed out, you know, Dr. Tony Evers, the superintendent of public instruction, asked for $200 first year, $204 per pupil the second year. Nobody complained about it on the, on the Democrat side in November that it wasn't enough. Only now are they complaining, which I think kind of exposes them for uh, the partisan attacks they are. Well, there is some criticism, Governor, that, that the, the way it's going to be allocated, that it's it's not going to be that, that all school districts are going to get the same amount of money and you're not putting more into some schools than others. It seems to me that that's just a fairer way to go about things, though. It is. It, you know, it's, there should be a, a core amount that goes to help ensure that every child in the state has access to great education. We put it overwhelming in the public schools, although there's also an increase for charter and choice schools. There's also, you know, places like Milwaukee, we put in a little bit extra to do summer school. Because talking to Dr. Driver and many business leaders, there's a feeling that we can increase performance of students 
particularly in reading and math, if they get more time in the, in the summer up there. We also put a pot of money in that's for performance-driven uh, improvements to take some of the failing schools in Milwaukee and offer these grants. It could be the public school, the public school system in Milwaukee, but it also could be for our charter and choice schools to expand and take on more responsibility to, to, to take students out of those failing schools and put them into schools that succeed. We're helping in rural school districts, too, where there's huge cost with, with transportation and technology and other things, all but with the idea overwhelmingly that we're trying to drive up ways to improve people moving into the workforce with the skills and qualities they need to be not just employed, but to have careers. You know, Governor, there's also a couple I- items that aren't getting sort of as much, quite as much attention, but I find really interesting. Like you're talking about a, a back-to-school sales tax holiday that would be worth $11 million a year, and then restoring more than $20 million um, in tax credit programs for the working poor. Uh, that's if that If you can do that, that's got to be great. Exactly. One of the big things we hear about is, you know, for working families, the tough, times it is when kids go back to school at a minimum this would not only help them by eliminating the sales tax during those times when they're buying school supplies and clothing <clears throat> it actually would be a huge incentive for people to buy here in wisconsin to buy things from companies physically located here in the state of wisconsin as opposed to going somewhere else or going online somewhere around the world this gives the those businesses that choose to be physically here in the state a, another competitive advantage and you're right, on the other part, changing their income tax credit, what we're trying to do with everything is with public assistance, with welfare, with all these other programs, is, is remove the barriers. What I hear, Jeff, I know you've heard this before from employers, they say, you know, we, we offer people a job or we offer them a promotion or more hours, and they won't take it because it pays more to be on public assistance than to be working. Well, that's baloney. I want to make sure that everything we do, from the earned income tax credit to winning people off of benefits, to putting requirements in now that any working-age adult has got to be employed at least 80 hours a month to get things like food stamps, uh, either employed or enrolled if they can't find work. Although with more than 80,000 jobs typically on our, our website, JobCenterWisconsin.com, we know we can find work for anybody who's physically and mentally capable out there. This budget makes it happen. Governor, let's talk a little bit about transportation. I mean, obviously... that's one of the issues that lots of people have different ideas. Robin Voss has been saying, okay, maybe we'd need to look at a gas tax. That appears, from your perspective, to be a non-starter. What were you thinking when you came up with the proposal that you did, particularly like delaying certain projects like the the expansion of I-94 between 16th Street and 70th Street in Milwaukee? Yeah, this is – and and Robin Voss is is a good friend. Uh, He's a great ally. He and I are going to work together on many great things over the next uh, several years here, and and we're going to continue to have that strong relationship. But obviously on this one, he and I just respectfully disagree. I I think at a time when we have this incredible reform dividend, a reform dividend and we're investing in our priorities, now is definitely not the time to raise any tax, be it the gas tax, the income tax, taxes on farmers and manufacturers, as some Democrats have suggested – now is the time to invest and reinvest that reform dividend. And so we've done that in, in, in transportation. Last year alone, there were 300 road construction projects in the state. Usually one of the biggest things I hear about with transportation is that there's too many orange barrels out there. So <laughs> on projects like the zoo interchange, the, the core of that, where all the cones are right now and the barrels, that's going to be done. We're not moving on the north leg, but, but the core of it right in the middle of the zoo interchange, all, all that's going to be cleaned up and completed in this budget. We're putting some of the money back into, or not some of the money, but some of the money will be needed for I-94 from the state line through Kenosha and Reed, King County up to 
southern Milwaukee County, but from the east-west corridor, from downtown out to the zoo, you know, there was just a placeholder in there. We decided until there's greater clarity as to what we can do with that area, because, as you know, there are a lot of local and city officials who don't like some of the options out right. there. We don't want to end up in court like Highway 23 is between Fond du Lac and Sheboygan. We want to invest in projects that can go forward. But for local governments, for cities, towns, counties, villages that fix roads, bridges, and potholes, they're getting the biggest increase they've seen in about 15 years or more. There's more money in the state highway rehabilitation than ever. We are taking care of our roads and bridges. One more question before I let you go, Governor. Obviously, the um, juvenile corrections is a big issue around here, and a lot of people have been pushing for the the closure of Lincoln Hill School for Boys and Copper Lake School for for girls. Um, Your budget includes more money for staffing. Uh, What was your thinking with regard to going that direction as opposed to blowing up the system like some people would have suggested? Yeah, John Letcher, the Secretary of Corrections, had been Secretary before. He'd been a school superintendent. Democrats and Republicans alike praised him when, when I announced, when I announced his, his appointment to that position. For about a year now, he's just come in. You know, a lot of these issues we hear about long predate John Letcher's time uh, as Secretary of Corrections. And so they have made a number of changes even before this budget. Uh, last year, they he asked specifically for the ability to give an increase so we've upped pay so that we can recruit and retain top uh, talent there. You know, what the challenge is, not just for him, but for state state government as a whole, is that at a time when unemployment's at a 16-year low, when overall employment's the highest it's ever been, public or private, it's a hard time to recruit people. So that's why we put more resources there uh, to up pay, to reduce overtime costs. And in this budget, he specifically asked for more positions, particularly in areas like allowing nurses to distribute uh, medicine and, and uh, to deal with health care issues as opposed to correctional officers give that. All those things will continue to improve that system there. Again, a lot of the stories you read about in the newspaper are things that happened years ago, uh, long before John Litcher was there. It doesn't excuse it. You've got to make sure that everything's on the right track. I think he's doing that, and uh, we're going to continue to build off that going forward. One other thing, just back for a second on transportation, though, in addition to what I mentioned, we also include reforms that will ensure that the cost of transportation projects are less. So we do really conservative things like repealing the prevailing wage for state projects, pulling back on project labor agreements. All those things in the past have added higher costs to transportation and infrastructure projects. When you look at that, when you look at the Act 10 requirements, when you look at the tax decrease, when you look at self-insurance, which is what the private sector overwhelmingly does, when you do a welfare reform and performance funding requirements for the UW and requiring more professor time in the classroom and free speech and choice in charter school expansion, this is a conservative budget. This is what conservatives do when we have a reform dividend. We invest in our priorities, which is tax relief and which is investing in improving our workforce. This is a positive conservative budget. It should help everyone in the state. Governor, let me, let me just finally then circle back to where we started. Are, are you convinced that the, the reform dividend is enough that the numbers all add up, that fiscally you can make this work? Absolutely, because just to be clear, you know, this is largely driven off of re- estimates that came in from the nonpartisan legislative fiscal bureau as well as our own budget office. So, you know, some of our, uh, some of the cynics out there, some of the Democrats, oh, this is, must be based on rosy projections on what the president and the Congress might do. No, we, we don't make assumptions about Medicaid block grants. We don't make assumptions about massive new transportation bills. If those things happen, 
we'll adjust to them working with the legislature. These are conservative estimates. It's our past budgets have been based on conservative estimates. It's why we've had surpluses every year I've been in office. It's why we'll continue to have them going forward. This is a solid budget built on a strong foundation. It's based on conservative principles of reforming government and then investing in our priorities and then sending a good portion of that dividend right back to the taxpayers who created it in the first place. Governor Walker, thanks so much for spending some time with me this morning. I suspect we will chat as the uh, process <laughs> moves on over the next few Absolutely. months. Absolutely. Okay, Thank take you. care. Thanks a lot. That's Governor Scott Walker. Uh, it, th- this is... I mean, I love the phrase reform dividend because this is one of the things, and some people are saying, oh, this is, here's Walker flip-flopping. Look, he, he, he took money away from this or he took money away from that. Well, the best example I can give, again, is, is try to think about your, your own personal life. You, you're used to spending at a certain level. And then all of a sudden something happens. You find out that maybe your spouse has lost their job or, or they had to cut back in hours or you've had some massive medical expenses. So you, you don't have as much money available. So what you have to do is you have to pull back and you have to make some reforms. And then things change. Your spouse gets another job or you know the medical expenses go away. So you've got more money coming in. And then what you can do is you can go back and say, okay, well, six years ago we weren't able to continue affording to fund something at a particular level. So we had to freeze the spending levels. Well, okay, now six years later, things have changed. There's more money around. You've got that reform dividend. It's not inconsistent. It's not hypocritical. It's not flip-flopping. It's actually, you know, what the governor was talking about several years ago. And to me, the key question is what I just asked him is, is this reform dividend really large enough to make the, the numbers work? And, and he seems to believe it is. But, I mean, here you're talking about more money being put into, you know, the school system. You're talking, you're talking about continued tax relief. Uh, you're talking about no tax increases up and down the line. If the numbers add up and make sense, it's a winner budget all around. 1021 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1023, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Piano Man is coming to Lambeau Field this summer. I'm giving away one more pair of tickets to see Billy Joel in Green Bay on June 17th. Tune in tomorrow during the 9 o'clock hour. See, we're going to tell you what hour of the program we're going to do it in tomorrow. During the 9 o'clock hour, tune in for your chance to win. Coming up in a little over an hour, we do this Thursday morning during the 1130 segment. It's always one of the most popular segments on the show, um, Pop Culture Corner. It's a particularly fun one today. I've really been wrestling with my reaction over a certain national issue. Elizabeth Warren. Honda, do you know who Elizabeth Warren is? Elizabeth Warren is the extremely left-wing, I mean, whack job senator from Massachusetts. She wants to be president, and she's positioning herself to, to run to be president in 2020. So she, but, but she is the, the darling of the far, far, far left. And... She has decided that she's going to be sort of the leader of the the opposition. So anything Donald Trump does, fine. She wants to she wants to stop him. So Jeff Sessions, who is a, a U.S. senator himself, or at least was until he stepped down from the Senate, he's the nominee for Attorney General. And uh, Elizabeth Warren takes to the Senate floor, and this is not the first time she's done that. Violates several rules of the Senate by personally criticizing. Um, one of the fellow colleagues. Now, you might think that that's an archaic rule, and maybe it is, but but 
see, the rules don't – Elizabeth Warren and people like her think that the rules don't apply to them. So she gets called on it, and she essentially gets sanctioned, and they, they make her stop participating in the debate. And then, of course, you turn her into this martyr. And that's the story for the last, like, two days about how this is terrible. They, they've silenced, they've silenced uh, you know, poor Elizabeth Warren. I mean, this is just absolutely terrible. Well, what Elizabeth Warren did in personally attacking, you know, Jeff Sessions was a clear violation of the Senate rules. So she deserved this. But the, the unfortunate thing and the frustrating thing, especially nowadays, is even though she was doing this by by sanctioning her, by slapping her down, you gave her what she wanted, which was the attention. Because for the last 24 hours, the news cycle and a lot of the mainstream media and the talking head shows has been, oh, Elizabeth Warren is this victim. All she was doing was just expressing how racist and how terrible Jeff Sessions is and talking about how he was just going to roll back civil rights and you know we were going to go back to you know before the Reconstruction. This, this is what was going to happen. I mean, it's all the over-the-top rhetoric that you're typically here from people. So by sanctioning her, while it was completely and totally appropriate, the problem is, you know, you gave her this attention. So in some respects, you know, so now this has just emboldened her to do more stuff. Bottom line is, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's best just to ignore the squeaky wheel. You let them squeak. You give her her time. You let her say whatever she wants to say. It's not like anybody out of the outside of the fever swamps of the left is really listening to her or paying attention. Anyways, let her say what she's going to say and then kind of move on. Because when you sanction her, you you give her this undeserved attention and you maybe elevate her opinions and give her more credibility than she would otherwise have. So um, tough as to how to handle it. If I were in the Senate, I think I would have just let her ramble on, and then just kind of moved on as opposed to making her a martyr. But you're going to see more and more of this moving forward, and the Republicans who control the Senate are going to have to figure out how to do it. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, a little bit of a later version of what I call dealer's choice, what I think is the most talkable topic of the day. A lot of reaction to Donald Trump, and it's more split than you might think. We will discuss. Stick around. It's 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Certainly appreciate the governor coming on and having a discussion about the budget. To me, again, I think it's a really exciting. It is certainly there's something in that budget for everybody if if the numbers make sense. I mean, if there is that reform dividend and if the numbers make sense, I think it is. um, I think it's exciting. February may be one of the ugliest months of the year. Hmm. Hmm. But it could be the best time of year to get a good deal on a home. Why is that? A realtor gives the guys on Wisconsin's Afternoon News an inside look at 421 today. Now, gives the guys. I think sometimes I think sometimes we've even got ladies that are on there, too. Gives the people, gives the personalities a look. All right. Um, I call this segment Dealer's Choice. This is – we do this during the, the 10 o'clock hour of the program. Um, every, every day it's – I try to find a topic which is not necessarily – maybe it's not the most significant, earth-shattering topic of, of the day. 
Um, maybe it doesn't rise to the gravitas of uh, Trump's travel ban or you know the, the governor's proposed budget or things like that. But something that I think is, is, is interesting, and I, I admit I have been fascinated by the continuing reaction to Donald Trump at, as president. And you cannot, as, as I do, I, I do this so you don't have to, I, I spend a lot of time watching the talking head shows. And I, I'm just, we are not coming together as a country. <laughs> we, we, are, we are not uniting as a country. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of blame to go around. You can make the argument that Donald Trump is incredibly polarizing, and by doing some of the things he's done and doing them in the fashion that he's done, he has contributed to that polarization. At the same time, let us be honest, the, the left in this country is mad as hell that Hillary Clinton did not win the presidency. And from the beginning... You know, you have seen the protests, you have seen the resistance. Um, There has been, I think, in general, this attitude that we don't care what Donald Trump does. We don't like it. He's given everybody $100 bills. Well, you got to cash them. It should have been 520s. I mean, it's it's almost to that type of thing. And I understand that Trump feeds into it. But you've got the, the fever swamps of the left. And now you have... For example, a lot of Democrats, the people like Tammy Baldwin, who have decided, all right, I'm not going to meet with Neil Gorsuch, the Supreme Court nominee. I don't care what he has to say. I'm going to oppose him. Why? Because he's he's a Trump appointee. And so you have a country that is is not coming together at all. And I don't know that we're going to over the next few years. It seems to me that there's always been a divide. And I understand that when Obama was the president, you had most of the people on the left that loved him and most of the people on the right that that hated him. Um, To the extent that that was ever going to change, if anything, I I think Trump might be even more polarizing. And I don't blame that necessarily just on Trump or just on the right, because, again, you've got the Democrats that have dug in. But if you read the mainstream media, there's all these polls out there, and you have to be careful with polls. We've learned over the last several election cycles, as as dramatized as particularly by this election cycle, that most polls are not worth are not worth the paper that they are printed on. Pollsters' methodology is not good. People lie to pollsters. Sometimes, um, in the case of Donald Trump, I, I believe that there were people who were Trump supporters who just did not want to acknowledge it or didn't want to participate, and the polls did a terrible job of trying to anticipate that. But now the ongoing story is, is Trump's approval rating. Let me share with you a um, piece in the Washington Post yesterday. Uh, the headline is, How Low Can Donald Trump's Approval Ratings Go? Now, of course, this plays into the, the mainstream media approach that Trump isn't a legitimate president and that he's incredibly unpopular. Since his inauguration, Donald Trump's net approval rating, already at an historic low for an incoming president, has taken a further hit. According to the pollster average, about 50% of Americans disapprove of the job Trump is doing as president, while 43% approve. A net approval rating of minus 7. Okay, 50, 43, yes. In Gallup polling, Trump's net approval is 10. So what's next? At the end of Trump's first 100 days, where will his approval rating be? As first, then they go in and they, they talk about that. And they say, okay, the vast majority of forecasters believe that Trump's approval rating is going to go even lower. And in the next um, you know, 100 days, it's probably clear that, um, well, it's, it's going to be even worse than it is now, making him 
almost unelectable if he were run to run again in four years, and certainly having no mandate at all moving forward. That's, again, the mainstream media philosophy. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. You may disagree with me, but I'm reading these stories, and just like I think people have underestimated, and I'm one of them, underestimated Donald Trump when he was running for the Republican nomination. My hand is up in the air for that. Just like people underestimated Donald Trump when he was running against Hillary Clinton. I am guilty of that. I freely admit it. I think a lot of these pundits and pollsters and analysts and reporters, I think they continue to just not get the the Trump phenomena. And, and yes, there are people that, that hate him, and they're going to hate anything he does, and it doesn't matter what he does. They are going to resist it. But I think among, if we want to call it the silent majority of Americans, I think among Trump supporters, the people who turned out to vote for him, they they approve of the job he did, and they continue to approve of the job he's doing. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Will Trump's approval ratings continue to decline, or do you believe he's actually more popular than pollsters and the mainstream media are picking up on, and do you think he's doing a good job? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is our number. It's 1042. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten forty four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. All right, how's Donald Trump doing? The, the approval ratings seem to suggest most unpopular president um, at this stage of his presidency ever. Some people suggest that the numbers are only going to go down. I think there might be a misreading of this. Dave downtown. Dave, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. I hate to be uh, in the middle type of person, but I think we're just still where we are as a country. Where you know, forty five percent like the guy, forty forty five percent hate the guy. 10% are flipped. But I'll tell you what, there is a new majority in this country who are the silent minority who just keep their mouth shut and go to work. Right. They tune out of the media. Four years, we'll reinvestigate it and see where we are. They're just they're tuned out. They don't say anything. They don't want to be railroaded as being a misogynist, a racist, a homophobe. Right. Whatever it is, with their co-workers in the workplace, they just shut up, right. nod right. their it, head, it, and just go, yeah, uh-huh, right. you're right, in their mind... They just keep they just keep on moving on. That's well, it. well, right, and they're not being picked up by the, right. They're, they're not the ones that are sitting there and, and up on on Facebook or participating in these discussions and the things on social media. You're right. You're, they're going to work. They're coming yeah. home. They're raising their kids, and and they're just they don't want to be part of the fight. They don't want to get into an argument with their brother and sister exactly. over the dinner table. It's just like let me let me alone. <laughs> exactly. It's like you know, three thirty in the afternoon. We're in our jobs. We're not protesting a $15 minimum wage. We're not on a freeway. We're not going to the courthouse protesting. We're actually working and making this country uh, great again. Right. To, to coin a phrase. Thanks. No, thanks. No, I think that that's exactly right. And I think that's one of the things that, again, pollsters are, are not picking up that there's there's more interest and more approval for Donald Trump that than people are willing to acknowledge. But because he is so divisive, and because some of the things he's done have been so ham-handed. I mean, th- th- this travel ban is a classic example of it. If you say to most Americans, hey, 
We've identified seven countries that have substantial ties to terrorism. And what we want to do is we want to put a 90-day hold on immigration from these specific countries just for 90 days. We're not talking about a permanent ban, but a 90-day hold just so we can improve our vetting to make sure we have a handle on who's coming into this country. If you explain it like that, I think most Americans, most Americans would say, well, yeah, that makes sense. What's what's the big deal about that? Of course. But that's not the way it was explained, and it was rolled out in this sort of half ham-handed fashion and questions about whether people who'd already been in the country and had green cards were allowed to participate. It, it just it wasn't explained. It wasn't done in, I think, a well-thought-out way. And then it just kind of fed into the, the crazies that, that are out there. But those, those people, they're, they're not going to give – Donald Trump a, a chance anyways. But I think Dave is really on to something. I think that there is a segment, a large segment of that population that just doesn't want to talk about this stuff anymore and wants to go about their, their ongoing lives. So, you know, when, when I see that, you know, like 93% of people answering this poll have an opinion one way or the other, I, I just, I question, I question that. And I guess I've just learned I'm not going to be fooled again. I have become convinced over the last several years that the way we poll nowadays just doesn't work. Did it work 15 or 20 years ago? Yeah. Did it work maybe 10 years ago? Yeah. But I started to see it a couple elections ago with these exit polls that were just completely and totally wrong. I mean, just completely, totally wrong. And now that is now expanded to, uh, again, the overall polling. And whether it's cell phones or people not answering or caller ID or whatever, uh, again, even the gold standard polls like the Marquette University Law School poll, frankly, I'll, I'll read it, but I don't think you can believe it because they haven't been right. When you miss the big stories, when you miss it, you got to be held accountable. And I think until polling can establish once again that it is reliable, I think you're in a situation where, well, you take it with a grain of salt. I think Trump has more approval than you might think. It's not from the commentators or at least some of the commentators on MSNBC or certainly CNN. But among the general public, among that silent majority, maybe more support than you think. Coming up next, Madison takes on panhandling. Oh, my goodness. Lions laying down with lambs. Stick around. Ten fifty-two. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ for years. Sam Shields was the best defensive back on the Packers roster. Now he's looking for a job. How did Green Bay's position of strength turn into a nightmare? Greg Matzik takes a look at the roster tonight on Sports Central starting at 6.07. Okay, well, Shields has his fifth concussion and probably won't ever play football again. Their two top draft picks get worse in their second year. Um, yeah, then, yeah, that's that's it. So your, your three best players are one's now gone and two are regressing. That's how you problem. That's how you get the problem. You need to find some people who can run and cover this. If you were watching ESPN last night, this is one of the the strangest stories that I have seen in a long time. Charles Oakley. Now, Charles Oakley, um, a former player um, from the the Knicks. Um, You might remember him if you're a sports fan. He was a big power forward who um, really was a key to, like, the Knicks back in the 90s and, and Pat Riley. He has been... He has been an unadulterated critic of the fact that that the New York Knicks have been, like many teams in the NBA recently, they're a complete dumpster fire. And and Oakley, he's a Knicks 
fan. Um, and he has been very publicly critical of the Knicks, and in particular the, the owner of the Knicks, you know, James Dolan, for a variety of what he says were very bad choices. So yesterday, yesterday he, he's at the Knicks game. The Knicks are playing the Clippers, and he's in the really expensive seats. Now, a lot of times what happens is if you're a former player for a team and you decide that you want to go to a game, they'll they'll give you the seats. They'll they'll comp the seats. Well, that that's that's not that's not what happens. Um, he's he's in these seats that he has paid for. So you're 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 in the really expensive seats. He has paid for them, and apparently, um, he's he's at the game. It's at the beginning, and he's sitting close to the owner, and he starts. At least according to the Knicks, he starts heckling them. Um, you know, he's sitting nearby and he starts uh, again, you know, talking to the owner. And, and my guess is, you know, he's saying things about how he thinks the Knicks suck and how he thinks the owner sucks. It would be kind of like, well, years and years ago, I, I had um, I, I had partial season tickets. I got them through my brother's law firm, bought some games to, to see the Bucks play. And the seats that we had were three or four rows behind Herb Cole. Uh, they, were, they were pretty good seats. Cole didn't sit in the really close seats. He was kind of in the back. But it would be sort of like if I were sitting in those seats and Cole's like three seat, three rows in front of me, if I would start yelling at Cole. <laughs> that would be kind of it. Why the you-know-what did you trade Ray Allen? You know, how did you sign off? That kind of stuff. So you wouldn't do it. But in any event, I mean, it never occurred to me to do it. But this guy, he's sitting, Oakley is sitting there, and he apparently starts, like, heckling the the owner. And what happens then is the security people go up to him and they essentially tell him, all right, you've got to knock, you got to knock this off. You know, we don't want you apparently stop, stop saying things to the owner because I guess whatever. So next thing you know, security starts coming in and then this huge brouhaha develops. He gets into this fight with security. Do you see the video of this, Hondo? Oh, it's fascinating. I mean, he, he's now this is, you got John McEnroe that's there. You've got all these celebrities that are close on these courtside seats. And, and he gets into, it gets a little bit physical because the security guys start to kind of uh, push him around. And he's a big guy who doesn't take stuff. So he kind of pushes back. And next thing you know, I mean, he's being hauled out in handcuffs by security all because he had the audacity to question the, the owner of the Knicks. And, again, I, I don't know. I think it's just you just never see this type of stuff happening before. And the bottom line of all this is, um, again, lots of basketball teams are dumpster fires. And this is a classic example of it. When one of your former stars gets hauled out of the game uh, by security because he gets into an, an altercation with the owner of the team. Hey, lions laying down with lambs. Out in Madison, the, the aging hippie mayor of Madison, Paul Soglin, he's, he, he's sort of having some revelations late in life, and he realizes that if you're going to have a thriving business community, you have to do something. You can't allow the panhandlers, the homeless people, the bums, any or all of the above to take over downtown streets. And so he's been fighting with the Madison Common Council to pass what I think are common sense ordinances with regard to balancing out the right of the homeless people to you know be on the streets versus the rights of merchants to be able to have people be able to get into their stores and people to be able to okay go into work without having to step over people that are having sex on the sidewalks in front of them you know things like that he's been balancing it out well finally um, they convinced 
the Common Council, after a long fight to approve an ordinance by a 12 to 8 vote early um, yesterday morning to impose bans on certain type of panhandling. If you are a regular listener of this program, you you know that this is one of the things I get up on my soapbox about. I do not understand how in communities we allow panhandlers to stand in median strips. Um, I don't understand how we allow panhandlers to work freeway exits and when people are stopped at traffic to walk through traffic lanes trying to beg money. It is only a matter of time before one of the panhandlers gets hit and killed or whether somebody creates an accident because they slow down or stop to give somebody some spare change and the person driving behind them doesn't anticipate that somebody's going to stop and they rear-end them or whatever. So anyhow, Madison, recognizing this is a problem, has now passed this ordinance, which essentially no longer on, on various streets in the city, no longer allows people to stand on the median strips or panhandle by the side of various roads. It also no longer allows people to just stop in the middle of traffic to give money to panhandlers. And again, some of the usual suspects are all upset about this. To me, it's a common sense thing. Milwaukee has done it, although they do not, by what I observe, aggressively enforce the ordinance. But the idea is you you can't allow people to just take up space wherever they want in traffic obstructing traffic to beg money. It's not safe for drivers. It's not safe for the panhandlers. And to its credit, at least 12 members of the Madison Common Council got it. Now, some people are saying this is cruel. It's heartless. Now, uh, explain that when there's a collision or explain that when one of the panhandlers get hit and hit and killed. This, I think, is as much public safety as it is quality of life. But it's a good idea. All right. Got a lot of stuff left on today's program. We're going to be talking about a, a local highway diversion project. Kid attacked after wearing a Trump hat. Is it ever okay to slap a student? And, of course, Pop Culture Corner. Stick around. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in less than 25 minutes. Pop Culture Corner. We will be live streaming it on Facebook. Um, it's always one of our, it's just, it's a fun segment. We put aside some of the heavy lifting. We stop worrying about, do the budget numbers add up? And what's the latest thing going on between the battle with the Democrats and the Republicans and President Trump? And what about crime? We, we just kind of have some fun. And today's, um, today's one I'm very much looking forward to talking to you on. All right. I am fascinated by trends in business, and I'm fascinated by, by personal trends as well. How we, where we eat, where we shop, all those type of things. It used to be that if you were, for example, going to have a mall and the mall was going to be successful, you needed to have various, quote-unquote, anchor stores that would attract people to the mall. Think about when they first built Grand Avenue downtown. You had the Boston store, 
which was the anchor on the west, and you had you know Gimbel's, which was the anchor on, on the right, on, on the river there. Well, okay, now that, that Gimbel store is, is long gone. Um, if you think about like Bayshore Town Center, for example, you know one of their anchors has been they, they've always had Boston Store, and then on the uh, north end of the of the facility they've had Sears, and now the, the Sears store is, is gone. You, you don't have the, those traditional anchor stores, and more and more shopping centers are seeing some of these big retailers, the department stores, just just departing, leaving. And I was thinking about this as I saw this story. I think CNN had it. It's talking about Sears. Sears, remember the, the old thing? Sears was where America shopped. Well, all right. And when I, gosh, I, I can remember we moved to Milwaukee. My parents moved here when I was like nine or ten years old. And, I mean, I can remember back then Sears was the place to go. That You, you had this Sears store on North Avenue that was, this was the place. People you know, people would come from all over the area to shop at this huge Sears store on North Avenue that was like, my recollection is it was six or seven floors. But you had, you had Sears stores that were all over. Sears was the place to go. Well, okay, Sears has been in free fall for a number of years. Um, last month, Sears announced it planned to sell 150 Sears and Kmart stores. Um, its Craftsman line of tools, which was always sort of the signature thing that I think you thought of when you thought of Sears, they sold that off to uh, Stanley, Black, and Decker. Sears closed 78 stores last year. They closed more than 200 in 2015. Um, the plans are they're going to take 10 more appliances, which was, I mean, that was another thing. You think of Sears, you think of Again, Craftsman Tools, you think of Kenmore Appliances, and you think of the, the diehard auto parts. Well, Sears is also in the process of selling off Kenmore Appliances. They're selling off, um, you know, uh, diehard as well. And despite all this stuff, despite the efforts at cost-saving and all, big story is about how in a Sears, just on Tuesday, their stock plunged nearly 15%, hit the lowest level ever, since its merger with Kmart back in 2005, Sears stock, and I didn't check it this morning, but it's it's pushing $5 a share. And this is for what, at one point in time, was America's most iconic retailer. Now, Sears slash Kmart isn't the only store that, that's having problem. Um, you know, Macy's, JCPenney's, and Kohl's have been closing stores as well. You have lots of apparel chains that have gone bankrupt. But, I mean, Sears was once one of America's leading retailers and it was you know it was an icon you know when, when you think of like the largest building in Chicago that was that was that that was the Sears Tower for a long time Sears was in the Dow Jones industrial average for you know, over 75 years and then ended up dropping out of that um, it's just it's been an amazing freefall for a company that was like I say iconic. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. What happened? What happened to Sears? And is the same thing that is happening to Sears, is it going to happen to, to other stores like like Macy's and JCPenney's and, and maybe even maybe even Kohl's? Now, Kohl's isn't in a situation like, like Sears is. But, but what has happened? Have our tastes changed? Have our shopping habits changed? Are, is the idea of the big 
department store, is that just, is it a dinosaur fighting in the tar pits? Do you need to have those type of stores at malls anymore, or have we moved on? 414-799-1620, That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Can anything be done to save the stores like the Sears's and like the Macy's and the J.C. Penney's? 414-799-1620. And when you think about how your shopping habits, have your shopping habits changed over the last 5, 10, 15, or 20 years? Do we need those big department stores anymore? Are they going to be coming back? It's 1116, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A daycare in Oak Creek is staying open even though its license has been revoked. Are there more in the area doing the same? Michelle Richards and Steve Scafidi have the details on WTMJ today. Tune in at 150. 414-799-1620. Sears stock is heading down. It is cratering. It is at a lower it's a lower level now than it was when Sears announced its merger with Kmart in 2005. They are closing stores across the country. It appears to be an unprofitable business model. They are selling off iconic brands like Kenmore and Die Hard batteries and the Craftsman tools. Is this just the wave of the future? Is this is this problem unique to Sears, or is it part of a broader problem? Do you still shop at department stores, or is that whole business model kind of a dying thing? Let's start with Tom in Oconomowoc. Tom, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, department stores, by definition, can't survive because they were created at one time in the, in the 30s and 40s to have small departments. In fact, they were contracted out at one time. Right. And, and basically, they, they gave people a place to shop because of the difficulty getting around. They brought in a women's clothing department, a hardware department, a candy department, and all these other things. But the problem is now, with department stores trying to compete, is that when you need hardware, you don't go to a, a, a 1,500-square-foot Sears hardware right. area. You go to a 10 to 20, 30,000-square-foot Home Depot. Or you go to a specialized hardware store where you think you get better service or better attention. With something that you might need that's a specialty item, of course. But women's clothing, you you aren't going to go to a 3,000-square-foot women's clothing section in Sears. You're going to go to one of any 35 specific women's clothing stores that are available. Right. The department store concept was doomed as soon as the companies that would specialize in one particular line found that they could profitably put stores independent stores of that one line mm-hmm. out into the public and and survive right so department stores by by definition can't survive and then of course you add into the whole notion of this thing we call the internet and all the people who are shopping on the internet and it's like all right what why are people going to those like general merchandise stores when they have all these different options that are out there? Right. Yeah. Now, thanks. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Have your shopping habits changed dramatically? I mean, Sears, Sears has been doing everything I think it possibly can to try to save the business model. I mean, they... they you know, cut unprofitable stores. But now you're at a point where it seems like they're just completely cannibalizing the thing. And, and you wonder, once you get to the point that you're selling off your, your best lines, the stuff that was iconic, the stuff that might drive people to want to come back, if you're now at a point that you've done everything else and you can't do it, 
I just, it seems to me that it is a death spiral. And again, I just, it's amazing how to me things that the mighty have fallen because, I mean, Sears was one of the big things. And I, I will tell you also, the traditional department store, I, I just, the, the whole business model, because even for people who shop, you've got, you've got various sweet spots. There's a lot of people for whom price is, is the ongoing and the overarching concern. So if you're, a price-conscious shopper. You know, you're going to be shopping at the Walmarts of the world. You're going to, and I think, you know, Walmart, Walmart and Target, I, I think, just ended up, you know, driving Kmart out of business. But you're going to be shopping at the Walmarts and the Targets of, of the world if, you're, if price is your number one thing. Then, of course, you've got people who, if price isn't the factor, okay, maybe you're shopping more at the specialty type of stores, but you're, you're not in that mainline department store type of thing. Then, like I say, you're, you're, you, you've got the whole Internet shopping that's out there. From my personal perspective, as somebody who hates to shop, just absolutely hates to shop, I, I'm a buyer. And so I'll sit down and say, okay, I, I, really, need, I really need X, Y, or, or Z. So do I, do I want to run out to the store and do that or with a couple clicks of the mouse, especially since, you know, for me it's not necessarily size specific. Okay, I, I know what size that this is. I know what I want. Here, I'm going to go on the Internet and I'm going to go take care of it. And then two days later, you know, the package arrives and I'm all set. I just – I think this is a business model that is extremely, extremely tough for a lot of reasons. And I – one of the things that really convinced me of that is when they built Bayshore, the Bayshore Town Center, I, I was I was always wondering, okay, is is this going to be able to make a go of it? You know, you've got even in you know, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you've got a mall that's primarily outdoors. You have, you know, Sears was one of the anchor stores, but the Sears is gone now because I think, you know, part of it is there's lots of specialty stores, and that's been attracting people. Let's talk to Vern in Oak Creek. Vern, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Vern. Uh, I just want to think, tell you, I think all stores are in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not everyone, but I mean, not Walmart, maybe. But uh, if you look at uh, Best Buy, even. Oh, yeah, Best Buy is struggling big time. Yep. Yeah, they, they people go there, check their prices, and then they buy it online. Right. And, you know, the places online don't have the big payments like they got, you know, with the heat, yeah, air conditioning, yeah. Right, no, the brick and mortar. I mean, you know, Best Buy. I think right. in some of the stores they they actually they lease out some of their space to other other businesses that then you know operate in the stores. Yeah. Um, right. I can't. I can't remember the last time I was in Sears or Penny's or Macy's or any of those. You know, because uh, you know I, I do a little shopping at Kohl's, and uh, right. for the most part, I think most little places are, are going to be in big trouble. Well, and you, and you see it. I mean, I think I about bookstores. I, I mean, I I love books, but I will tell you, and and if, if I'm if I'm somewhere there's a bookstore, I will browse. But a lot of times, I mean, most of the purchasing I do of books is online. I'll I'll be sitting there and I'm right. reading the Wall Street Journal on Saturday, and they've got a review of books, and there, there's a book that sounds interesting to me. Well, okay, what will typically happen is instead of all right, I'm going to go over to whatever the bookstore is and try to see if they have this in stock. You know, I, I just go on Amazon. You know, I put in the title of the book. It comes up. You order it, and it's at your house in two days. And, and that's right. I, that, that's just – it's not that I don't – I'm not in favor of supporting local businesses and stuff. It's just – it's easier for me, and, and maybe I'm right. just lazy. Plus, you know you're going to get a pretty decent price by doing that. Well, if you look at TVs, I mean, that's why uh, Best Buy, is, Best Buy is, is supposed to be in big trouble. Yeah. You know, as far as all that. And the reason of that is people are there to check their prices and then they just buy it someplace else and right. you know, that's 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 the new wave of uh 
of the economy. Right, exactly. Okay. Right, and now I think, and I think it is moving. I think it's moving forward. You have a lot of people who are. Then you've got, you know, from an economic and a quality perspective, you've got the places like Costco's that are doing extremely, extremely well. It just tastes are changing, but. I'm fascinated by this topic in the story just because if you think back really not that long ago, I mean, Sears was the type of thing, if you were running a shopping mall, you wanted to have a Sears store there because that would attract people, and then people would come into the Sears, and then they'd go to the food courts, and then go to other specialty shops. Now it's like, okay, um, some of these big some of these, these major retailers, um, not only are they not necessarily a draw, but they might not be the best use of space. How times have changed. 1124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Weck, 620 WTMJ. This is a story that's been floating around for a couple days now, and it's just, it's one of these things that does not strike me as being right. It's the story of this 12-year-old kid who goes to school, he's a sixth grader, and he goes to school in Missouri, and he's on the school bus, and he's wearing one of those red Make America Great hats again. So he's 12 years, and the school doesn't have any rules against saying you, you can't wear one of those. So there's now these, these cell, the cell phone video. So he's, he's wearing the Make America Great hat. And apparently what happens is a number of the kids on the bus decide to gang up on him and start pushing him and screaming at him because he's wearing the, the Make America Great hat. You know, they're, they're emulating the same sort of behavior that they see on the TV news on a nightly basis. They start screaming at th- this kid, you know, yelling, oh, you want to deport everybody and you're racist and all this type of stuff. So they, they confront the kid and it ends up getting physical. And you can see this. They're pushing the kid. They're yelling at him. They're bullying him in every sense of the word. So after they start getting physical with the kid, trying to grab his hat, trying to push him around, what he does is, and what should surprise nobody, is, is he starts to fight back. So, you know, he gets, he gets pushed on the bus. People try to grab his hat. And so what he does is he pushes them back. So one of the kids, like, strikes him in the face. He slaps at the kid back. And this is all on cell phone video. Okay. Now, what happens then is that this, the school officials become aware that this is, was a fight on the bus. They see the video. They go out and they look at it. And it, it's pretty much, it says, okay, three or four kids picking on this guy, this young man. They're yelling at him. They're slapping at him. They're trying to grab the hat. And after being slapped at and struck, he then does fight back. He pushes them back. So what is the response of the school? Is it to whistle in the kids who were bullying and attacking and hitting the kid and say to suspend them? Well, yes and no. They whistle in the kids who were bullying and attacking and berating the kid, and they apparently do discipline and they suspend them. But what they also do is they suspend, in this case, the victim. They say, well, okay, yes, that, that's what they do. They, they say, well... You know, you, you fought back after they yelled at you and screamed at you and tried to grab your hat and pushed you and hit you. You, you pushed them back. So you were involved in the fight, 
and here, you know, we're going to suspend you as well. Well, the reason this story has gotten all sorts of attention is the 12-year-old's mother did not go quietly into the good night. The 12-year-old's mother said, wait a second, my kid is, is the victim. Do you mean to tell me if under any other circumstance you had three or four kids that ganged up on a child, pushed, hit them, grabbed at them, and the child, as a matter of defense, pushed back, you would suspend that kid? Really? And the school officials say, well, we can't comment because, you know, this is a matter between the kids. This is this is a matter for school officials. It's a matter of discipline. I mean, it is one of, again, these stunning double standards because I find it difficult to believe. Let's say that there was a child of a certain ethnicity that was being bullied and berated and screamed at on a bus. And then after people were pushing him or her, that child retaliated. Do you mean to tell me that that child would be suspended? I think not. But because it's a kid that's wearing a Donald Trump hat, I guess it's anything goes. It is 1135. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. We do this. During this last segment of the program, every Thursday, we put aside the heavy lifting, talking about politics and crime and all those things. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner, and it's our opportunity to, I don't know, talk about stuff that's going on in the world of popular culture. Sometimes we talk about food, sometimes music, sometimes movies, sometimes sports, sometimes books, whatever kind of tickles my fancy for a particular week that I think might tickle yours. Now, if you're a regular listener, you, you should know that um, I, I am the king of multitasking. And there's I, I grew up watching TV, and I, I'm just, I admit there's a TV, and I, I don't even admit to how many rooms I have in my house and how many rooms have TVs. And there's always a TV that's on. And I, I always, you know, people say, well, what are you watching on TV? Or why did you watch this? And I always say it, it, it's because it's, it's, it's on. And so, I mean, I grew up watching TV, and again, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll read books and I'll do all sorts of other stuff. I'll prepare the show, but I always have the TV on in the background. And there are some shows that I am proud to admit that I watch, and there's other shows that I, I don't necessarily like to acknowledge I watch, but I'm kind of the king of junk TV, so I'll watch a lot of that stuff as well. One of the things that has happened over the last several years is the, the advent, and it, I mean, it really started you know, with DVDs, where you would have entire series that would be released on on DVD. You know, maybe years and years ago, you used to watch Dallas, for example. And, you know, you'd have Dallas, and then you'd have the reruns. Well, then they started releasing Dallas on DVD. So what you could do is you could buy the DVDs, and you could watch an entire season, or five or ten seasons of Dallas all at once. Well, now you don't need to do it through the DVDs. Now what you can do is if you can subscribe to Netflix or some of the other services that are out there, or on a lot of the channels, they'll have marathons, the Breaking Bad marathon or whatever. You can sit down, and you can, the term has become binge watch, you know, various TV shows. Now, I was thinking about this the other day because Better Call Saul, which is, it, it's in its third season. It is the prequel to the, the show Breaking Bad. The, the Saul character was the lawyer on Breaking Bad, um, Bob Odenkirk. It's now in its third season, and it kind of, it's showing how the, the guy became, went from who he was to the, the sleazy lawyer that you saw in Breaking Bad. So it's an interesting prequel. That's coming back. Um, it's going to be on, uh, I think the debut on AMC is uh, April 10th or something like that. But it was occurring to me that, you know, I, I need to, because I'm a fan of the show, 
in anticipation of the new season, I probably should you know go back and, and watch the first two seasons. I mean, I've seen them and all, but you know, they, they just they kind of fade in the mind. So I'm thinking at some point in time over the course of the next couple of weeks, so on one of these slow weekends where nothing really is going on and there's no sports that I particularly watch, I'm going to probably go back and I'm going to binge watch a lot of the episodes of the, the Better Call Saul just to get me up to date with the, the new series that's coming. I know that there's a lot of people, especially in the dog days of winters and things like that, who will do that. You'll sit down and you'll say, you know, I don't have anything going on on Friday night, whatever. And what I'm going to do is I'm not going to I'm not going to channel surf. I'm not going to see what's going on TV. I'm going to spend a day or two and I'm going to binge watch this show or that show or whatever. Pop Culture Corner today in honor of the return of Better Call Saul, 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free uh, talk line. All right, past or future, past, future, or present, the shows that you're interested in binge-watching, the most binge-watchable show that is out there. And if you've been one of these people who, like me, frequently sits down and binge-watches, okay, what's What's the number one show that you want to see? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. If somebody said, you know what, I, I've got a few hours to kill this weekend, and I'm trying to think, you know, I've got Netflix, I've got access to the different things, I've got the DVDs, I'm trying to think of a show that really would be worth my time. Maybe I've never seen it, maybe I've seen it before, but it's worth looking at again in anticipation of the future. What's the show that you should be binge-watching? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. We are live-streaming the segment on Facebook Live, so you can participate in that fashion. You can send me emails or do it the old-fashioned way. Give me a call. Um, phone lines tend to jam up, so I encourage people to call early. We'll try to get to as many calls as possible. The most binge-watching binge-watchable show around. 414-799-1620. It is 1140. We're back to discuss in just a couple minutes. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1142. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We were live streaming on Facebook Live. Uh, Better Call Saul returns April 10th. What's the best, what's a TV show that is most binge-worthy? If you were looking to kill a few hours on a on a cold winter weekend, what would be the show we want to watch? Let's start with Becky in Menominee Falls. Becky, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? What's the show? Uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's so wrong, but yet so right at the same time. Y- you know, my... My best friend's son, Dean, loves that show, and he keeps telling me I, I need to watch it. It's been going on for like 12 years or something, right? Yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly where I'm. I'm on like season three right now. Oh, so, so you're yeah. in the process of binge. You're not watching the new ones. You're binge watching it, huh? Yeah, I'm binge watching <laughs> it on Netflix right now. So, well, any I love Danny DeVito. So anything oh. with Danny DeVito, you know, has got to be, as you say, it's so wrong, it's right, huh? Exactly. It's one of those that. Oh my God! Why? How did they get away with that? But you know, <laughs> it's great. You know, it's awesome. It's All right. I see. No, thanks. For, I see. I have not. Like I say, I, I, I. It comes highly recommended, but I have not seen that one. Let's talk to Tim in Delafield. Tim, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank uh, you. Okay, binge worthy TV show. Well, I thought it was The American mm-hmm. on FX. Uh, I just happened to catch it. We had Amazon Prime, and all of a sudden, I was on my iPad, and it popped up, and 
I've watched, I've never, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV, but also right. this got me hooked. And I watched, I binge watched the first like three or four seasons because right. it was already right. in that. And right. I could not wait to see the, the next season. It just, the, the, I mean, yeah, I grew up in the 80s, you know, 70s, 80s, just to see the. Uh, it's know, about the these dichotomy. two Soviet spies who are yeah. living, you know, in, in the D.C. area, right? I think something Correct. like that. Yeah, they right. grew up, they, you know, they were, they were put in a school in Russia just to become, uh, you know, American citizens. They, they got them here. Now the whole dynamic of their kids, uh, right. you know, growing up Americans, and, and just the dynamic of how one character really likes America, but he's still this spy, and the wife is just so hard down on being Russian, she will not in one way, shape, or form, change her identity or her mind about who their uh, yeah. loyalty is to. It's just, it's really, and just to see what they do, and with the technology that they had, and... Uh, no, I see, I think really it's, yeah, show. I mean, thanks for calling. I see, actually, I, I watched the first year or so, and then th- there's so much good TV out there, and, and that's a show that, that wins all sorts of awards, and I think it's coming, I think it's wrapping up. I don't know if this season is the, ne- the last one, or the la- or there'll be two more seasons, but I, I watched the first year, and then just kind of I stopped watching it. It's not that I didn't like it. It's just there was other stuff on. Um, but that's definitely on my list because it wins all sorts of awards, the Americans. Let's talk to Mario in Greenfield. Mario, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. Um, yes, good morning. Um, hands down, The Sopranos. Oh. <laughs> you know, that's such an interesting show. It's a perfect show to binge watch, too, because you can see the way the characters develop over the years and um, – and that's such a well done show. You know, if it wasn't for the Sopranos, there wouldn't be there wouldn't be a Breaking Bad. There wouldn't be a lot of the shows that are on now. Right. And you know, you know, uh, America's always had this uh you know, this this thing about the mafia and the mob and it kind of went inside their personal lives and right. detail a little bit more and really opened it up to these guys are really people. <laughs> right. And it was such a different, you know, you watch The Sopranos and you get such a different impression than from, say, watching The Godfather. <laughs> you know, it's right. right? These, exactly. these are the guys that have all the issues. Thanks. And, and the late James Gandolfini did just such an incredible job as Tony Soprano. Um, yeah. I would throw in another one, um, The Wire, which was, you know, a five season um, show on, on HBO, especially the first couple of years. I mean, they had five seasons. I think some were better than others. But actually, I missed the first season of The Wire. I got into it. I just. I bought the DVDs, and then I put the first one in, and then I just couldn't stop. It was one like, okay, I watched two seasons at once, and then was just, um, I was hooked. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. When AMC recently ran a marathon of Breaking Bad over right. the holidays, right. I realized that I'm like a kid drawn to pinata candy <laughs> with that show. It is the moth drawn to the flame, huh? Yeah, and I had, I had seen all the episodes twice already, but I found myself watching it again. Yeah, that even right. See, that's one of the things about a great TV show that even if you know what happens, the, the chances are you've forgotten some of the stuff. And even if you know where the whole thing is going, you're still just kind of fascinated by how good that show is. I, I think you can make an argument that Breaking Bad might be the the best binge watching show ever. Yeah, and I might even do it again because I just found out from Cranston's book that. Jesse Pinkman was supposed to be killed off in the right. first season. And right. They kept him around, though. Right, because they, they, they wanted to use him as the counterweight. Thanks for, right, the, 
the guy that starts off as the the real crumb bum and and maybe the people start to like no breaking bad just outstanding four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty uh let's see we're also we're live streaming on facebook uh, let's see. Marky writes for history buffs, the Netflix show Crown. You know, there's a lot of good stuff on Netflix. I, I am one of the f- the few people in the world that, even though I have access to it, I haven't signed up for it just because I I just I don't have enough time to do it. But there's some there's some shows that are on on that. That's just um, I. I I got the first season of their Daredevil show. Um, I got that on DVD. That's one that has attracted me. Let's talk to Matt in Racine. Matt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Yes, sir. Binge-worthy TV shows. I definitely, it's been in syndication for 20-some years, but if I'm still awake at 10, 30, 11 at night, I will watch Seinfeld and bust a gut almost every time. You know, I Seinfeld was one of those TV shows that I thought, I didn't think it was going to have legs. I thought it was like a show from the 90s, but you're exactly right. That I just I read the book on the making of Seinfeld and it made me go back and I was doing the same thing. I was watching all the different shows whenever they were on either on Channel 6 or on TBS or whatever. I'd watch four or five of them at a time. Seinfeld is just as funny today as it was when it first aired. Absolutely. I've seen them all probably a dozen or more times, and it's still hilarious. No, it works for me. Now, thanks for the call. Okay, uh, Steve writes on Facebook Live, House of Cards. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen the most recent year, but the first couple years with Kevin Spacey. And if if you're looking for something to really binge on, get the original House of Cards. That was a three-year British series. Narcos. I haven't seen Narcos, but I want to. That's one, again, that's on on Netflix. Um, he also says he never watched 24, so he just started doing that. Kevin in Richfield. Kevin, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. This is an easy answer for me when you pose a question. Okay. 24 with Keeper Sutherland. Okay. Uh, I got turned on to the show maybe about season four or season five by my father, and I went back and caught up, and you just sat down, you get sucked in immediately. You know, the voice keeper comes on at the beginning of the show. The following takes place between 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. Events occur in real time. Right. And I would watch, I would watch three or four episodes, and I'd say, "Well, I'll just watch one more." And then after that one, it was, "Oh, just one more." And you know, it's dark out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next, next thing you know, it's three o'clock in the morning, and you got to get up at five thirty. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was, it was just a revolutionary short time. It was yeah. Action packed. It was just so well done, and it was just. I mean, you didn't know what Jack was going to do. You, you know, and right. The way the show was, you didn't know who might die or live. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. Anybody could be killed up at any time, and it, it was just such a good show. Well, it is. You know, and see, thanks, see, that's one of the things that I think has really revolutionized TV, that, that the point you just made, that, it, okay, if you've got a long-running series that features a couple characters, you, you're not you're not going to be killing off the characters right and left. At the same time, if you've got one of these limited edition shows, you know the thing's going to run three years. Well, then anybody can go. I mean, you you can do all sorts of things. You know, you can take a popular character, and all of a sudden, after three episodes, that that character is gone. I mean, you look at uh, what was the show Deadwood, which is another. A great binge watching show. Okay, they kill off one of the main characters like by the third episode of the show. Sue in West Bend. Sue, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Now, this is one, it's a brand new one on Netflix, and it's a Russian program. I never watched any programs with subtitles, so that was interesting. Okay. It's called Kurt, okay, Kurt, Seat, and Shura. I've never heard of it. I know, it's brand new. 
and it, it's one uh, it's one season, but it's like forty fifty episodes, and they're all about an hour each, and it's got like drama, it's got love, it's got oh, it's got so many twists and turns, and then when they get to the end of one ep- one one uh, program, it's like you want to stay and see what happens because it's like oh my god, it's like a cliffhanger. Every program that you watch, it's like, oh, but I've never watched it, never did a binge thing, and I never did <laughs> titles, and I did it all. Now you're, now you are, now you are drawn in. Okay, that's, I, see, I, see that, that, that's the problem. There's so much stuff that's out there that I, I'm intrigued by, but it's like, oh my gosh, you know, how much time do you have? That, that narco show on Netflix is one that I know I was, uh, thinking about a, as well. Um, uh, again, the wire, 414-799-1620, still looking at our Facebook live, um, the outer, oh, Game of Thrones, yeah, Joni writes the Game of Thrones, and that's, see, I have, I'm one of the few people in the world, too, I only watch the first season of the Game of Thrones because I have all the books, and I don't like to watch things if I intend to read the books. So I keep saying I intend to read the books, but I haven't gotten around to it. So I'm going to binge watch Game of Thrones, but after I read the books and haven't read the books for a while. Let's talk to Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Um, mine is all the MASH episodes. Right. I got 102 recorded <laughs> on my <laughs> on my U-verse. Wow. And I, I love it. Um, they're only like little half-hour programs. Right. Alan Alden, he's, he's super, and, and right. he directs, and he, he shows the, the true facts. I'm a history buff, military. He, he shows the true facts of Korea, the forgotten right. war. And my father-in-law, he served there. And then I didn't. he never said nothing to me until one time I was up north deer hunting with him. Right. And I was like, oh, my God. And I didn't realize how cold it can get out there. Uh, oh, yeah, and you really get that idea. Dave, th- thanks for calling. I just want to try to get as many calls in as I can before I run out of time. You know, of course, MASH was, even though it was set in Korea, it was it was making a statement about the Vietnam War when it was airing. Mike in Madison. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Love your show. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to uh, give a shout-out to a show on Showtime called Shameless. With Bill Macy and uh, oh. uh, what's, what's, who's the gal that plays Fiona? Um, uh, the very attractive young woman. Yes. Uh, she started, she's only 30 years old. She's been in that series for seven years yep. now, but she's just truly the greatest. But uh, I, I always refer to them as the original deplorables. So. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, you talk about binge-watching. I... I didn't watch the first two years when it was airing, and somebody told me it's really good, and I did exactly that since Showtime on Demand or whatever, and, yeah. and that's that first year particularly. I, I spent an entire weekend watching, you know, all the like twelve hours of the shows because I just I couldn't believe what they were doing on the show. Did, that, did they yeah. really say that? Did they really do that? And and now I, I no thanks for I, I've become a just a huge I've become a huge fan of Shameless. Tim in Waukesha. Tim, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hey Jeff, how's Hi, it Tim. going? Good. Okay, you're binge watching show. Uh, Amazon Prime actually. I think they have some good shows on there. But the uh, the Man in the High Castle. If you're a uh... Kind of, it's kind of an alternate history uh, take on World War Two. Uh, yeah, I I have heard about that. That is, is, is the premise of of that is what happens if the Nazis would have won. Correct. 
Right. right. So basically, uh, the, the Japanese and Nazis are shared America. Right. Yeah, I've, I've heard nothing but good things about that, and that's one that's on my list as well. Um, let's see, Facebook Live. Um, Randy writes Justified. Yeah, that Justified. Justified, a great TV show. It, it ended after six years. Uh, Timothy Oliphant, so that just went off. Um, uh, Tyler says Newsroom, Lost. I never got into Lost, but I understand. In any event, a lot of good ideas. Dave from Racine wanted to say Firefly. Hondo, my producer, says Stranger Things. All sorts of great stuff that's out there. Um, spend some time. Go do some binge watching. It's 11.55. We'll find out what's coming up on WTMJ Today. Today, in just a couple minutes. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Steve Scafidi, what's coming up on WTMJ today? Well, the governor had his big address yesterday, budget address. We, we're going to be joined by John Jagler and, and uh, Representative Barker to talk about that, what he talked about, what he didn't talk about. So big show today. Big The big question is going to be, um, is the money going to be there? Because yeah. it's, it's a budget that I think a lot of people will like if you can afford it. Transportation. Just stick around. That's WTMJ today. Coming up, I am out of time. I'm back 830 tomorrow when we do this all again. Check out the webpage, WTMJ. We check out the podcast page. We've got the Facebook Live stuff up, all sorts of stuff. It's 1159. Stay warm. Have a great Thursday. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.